the first time we're going through a series. This is the final installment of this series. It's called Stay Rich. What we've been saying is that in the Bible, uh, there are things there that are unique because the world teaches you how to get rich. Uh, everybody teaches you how to get rich. But in God's Word, you're going to find how to stay rich. You're going to find how to live a life that is focused, that is purposeful, that is what God intended you for. This is what we've been studying. And if you have missed out on any of these, you can find them online. They're free. You can download any one of our sermons and just listen to them or watch them. If you want, you can pick up a DVD after the service to catch up with the ones you missed. But we've been looking at instructions that Paul wrote, who wrote most of the New Testament, wrote specifically for, new, for rich people. And our biggest discovery is that this is actually talking about us. Because we are rich. We're richer than we thought. As we've been going through this series, we've begun to realize we have more resources than we actually thought we did. And you know, the interesting thing is we've come to understand that we must make that declaration. Every single one of us. If we want to be victorious, if we want to walk uh, with, the, with the assurance that we control our riches and they don't control us, the blessings that God gives us don't become a distraction to us, then we must make that decision. We must say that I will not put my hope in riches, but, I, but in the one who richly provides. You know, when I walk with that confidence, when I know that my hope is not in riches, it's not in wealth, it's nothing on this earth that gives me hope, but it is God who gives me hope, I walk in confidence. I have no fear. This is what we've been learning. And then we've been looking at the fact that, you know, one of the ways for rich people, people like ourselves, like we've said, one of the ways for rich people to, to be sure that their hope is not in riches is for them to, 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 to be generous or to be rich in doing good deeds and to be generous. That's kind of what we've been looking at. So we want to dive into the last one, the last installment of our series. And I want us to look at the same passage we've been reading, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. And this is what it says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. I think this week we've understood that everything we have is so uncertain. The things we see with our eyes. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Father, I pray that as we listen to this word, as we meditate on it today, as we complete looking at these verses that are so specifically written for us, Lord, speak to us, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you would not pass any one of us by, that we will hear your word for us, that we will understand what it is you are saying, and that our lives will be transformed. We glorify you and we praise you. We refuse any destruction that will be in this place in the name of Jesus. And we declare that your word will come into our lives and it will do what it is planned, you have planned for it to do. And we will change and we will obey. For we ask this in your precious and your holy name. And God's people say it. Amen. Now today I want us to look at these final instructions. Paul says that as we are rich in good deeds and in generosity, that we not only lay up treasures for ourselves for the coming age, we looked at what that means last week, but here's something he says. He says, but we take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, that's a profound statement. You see, we noticed last week that the wealthier we become, the more we begin to think that all we see is all there is. We begin to imagine that the physical world, 
is what matters, is what's important. And we forget that there's a much bigger reality, the ultimate reality. And one of the things that we begin to think is, if only I could have more money, if only I could hit a certain number in my income, then I would be there. I would feel safe and I'd feel secure. But unfortunately, one of the things that we often forget is that money is not wealth, but money is only a means of procuring the things that actually give us a sense of wealth. What do I mean by that? You know, it's very interesting when you ask yourself the question, why is it that I want the goods and the services money can buy? Ask yourself this question, why do you want to live in a nice house? It's not a rhetorical question. It's actually, I'm actually expecting you to ask, answer me. Why do you want to reach, drive, a, why do you drive, drive a big car? Why do you want to drive a nice car? Why do you want to go to exotic vacation places and enjoy yourself in a vacation? Why do you want to eat nice food made by a chef? Why do you want to have nice clothes and look good? Why do you want to have health insurance and the best health care possible? Why, why, why? Why do you want to be able to buy your friends drinks and say power, <laughs> you know, and not worry about looking at how much the bill is? Why, 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 by the way, why do we want those things? Somebody give me an answer. Just shout it out. To feel good, uh-huh. Because you want to feel good, isn't it? Uh-huh. Any other reason that we want that? Because? To impress others. Okay, that's a nice thing, by the way. You want, to, you want people to notice that uh, you're connected. <laughs> you know people, uh-huh. Any, any other reason? For respect? To gain respect, uh-huh. To have? To be famous. Yeah, to people to notice me, that I can, I'm famous, yeah. What, what are the reasons? By the way, this is all, these are the only reasons you guys want money. Uh, for comfort, absolutely, isn't it? By the way, some of you are like, I don't know why I want these things. Let me warn you. God only gives you things if you know why, you're, why you want them, isn't it? Maybe that's why you're broke. You're saying, God, give me money. You don't even know why you want the money, isn't it? So, so, so here's the thing, you need to understand. There's a reason you want those things. There's a reason you want that nice house, that nice car, that nice vacation. And it is this. And maybe just to encapsulate everything that you said. It is because we want a sense of well-being. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to have good health. We want to have joy and peace and safety and good relationships with those we love. We want to enjoy life. We want the freedom to pursue meaningful work. This is why we want money. You know, it's what we're looking for when we're looking for money. It's not the money we actually need. It's the things that money brings us. And the problem is that oftentimes we get so caught up looking for money that we forget that it's not actually money that's important. That if we had all those things, all those things we've mentioned, if you had all those things, would you still want money? I mean, money is just filthy paper, isn't it? that other people have touched. It even has germs, isn't it? Why would you even want it? it? It's not even something that you even want to touch. It's what it brings you that you're interested in. Now, the interesting thing you need to understand is that this complete sense of well-being, this thing that we're looking for, this wellness, this peace, this joy, the Bible has a word for it. And the word is shalom. Shalom means peace, completeness, and welfare. And in our passage, Paul calls it life that is truly life. That's what we want. It's not money you need. It's life that is truly life. Every one of us, that's what we want. 
We want to not just live life. We want to have life that is truly life. And so we chase money because we hope it will deliver this state of mind, this state of being to us. We hope that money will give us life that is truly life. But you know that there is no guarantee that when you get the money, you will also get life that is truly life. Do you know that? Do you know any people who have a lot of money and yet they're very miserable? Oh, yeah, I know quite a few of them, by the way. Extremely miserable. Do you know people who have a lot of money, but their relationships are in a complete mess? Their children won't talk to them. Their wives don't even want to see them. But the guy is rich. Do you know people who have money, but they can't sleep? They have nightmares. They have hot, I mean, they're they are so troubled. They have so many issues. And the problem is they, 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 they pursued the money and they forgot what the money was for. The money was supposed to be giving them shalom. But they got the money and they forgot it was a tool, a means to a path. And, and the problem is they, they got the means, but they forgot the, 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 what it was for, what they were supposed to be getting. And here's the thing that we need to understand. That ultimately shalom, ultimately life that is truly life, can only come from God. He's the only source of this thing that we're looking for. You know, it's very interesting. The Bible tells us that God gives money, but God also gives shalom. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says this. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's God who gives you the ability to get money. It's God who gives you ideas and the hard work and the giftedness and, and, and the connections. God gives you those things. But then it also says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot in life and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. In other words, you can have the gift of money but not the gift of enjoyment. It is God who gives you the ability to have peace, to have shalom, to have completeness. The minute I stop trusting God, the minute I start trusting in the money which God gave in the first place, then I miss the path. I completely forget what it was for. And I find myself in misery, missing out on life that is truly life. And so here's a lesson that Paul wants us to understand as we conclude this series. Whenever you struggle to, to, to be generous, you want to remember this. Whenever you're finding yourself thinking, should I give, should I not? Should I be generous, should I not? Should I give my time to bless others, should I not? Remember these words. That what money can't buy, God will supply. This is it. This is it. You need to understand life that is truly life doesn't come from money. What money can't buy, God will supply. This is a profound thing. And it's what Paul concludes this sermon with, or this, this, this message to the rich. That's why we've been learning what we've been learning this last four weeks. Paul is teaching us that when we are rich in doing good and being generous, four things happen to us. First, we break the power of money in our lives because we begin to trust the provider and not the provision. Second thing that happens, we learn to be truly generous. We learn to give out our proportion and stop being impressed by the amounts because now we know what it means to be truly generous. We invest for eternity. That's the thing that happens when we begin to invest our treasures in the age to come. This is what Paul tells us. And then the last thing that happens in what we're talking about today is we access life that is truly life. We begin to access the life that God created us for. And this is what happens, that our giving, our generosity, <laughs> unlocks this. And this is why we want to remember this as we walk out of this place. If you forget everything else I teach you today, is that what money can't buy, God will supply. Your neighbors look a little anxious right now, so just, just, just help me preach this to them. What money can't buy, God will supply. God will supply. 
Now, I had, I've had lots of people come up to me through this series and say, Pastor M, I love what you're saying. How do I even begin this journey? How do I begin to live a life that is rich in generosity and in in doing good deeds? How do I even begin that journey? And I want to say for many of us, we need to start with baby steps because this has not been the way that we've lived life in the past. And so the first thing I want to say, step number one, is desire to be generous. It starts with a desire. Just want to be generous. Ask God to help you to be generous, to make you a generous person. Some of you, by the way, are naturally generous. I mean, you're so generous that you just give. You're disgustingly generous. It's like you can't even hold back. You just love. You see, you can't see a need and not meet it. By the way, you have friends like that. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, there are people who, I mean, I remember one of my friends I was talking, talking to yesterday, and she shared how she even used to take stuff from home when she was in, in primary school. And when she sees somebody in need in primary school, she'd actually steal from home to go and supply a need for a friend. I'm like, that's disgustingly generous. I mean, it's like, how do you do that? Uh, and I know there are people in this church who have that gift of generosity. My wife, by the way, is one of them. She's extremely generous. She loves to give. I'm not like that. <laughs> I, I want to confess, I'm, I'm actually not a naturally generous person. I struggle with generosity. And I was not born generous. And so the first place I had to start was by saying, God, teach me to be generous. I want to be generous. When I wrote what my life goals were going to be, one of them was, I want to be remembered by the poor because of my generosity. I wrote that knowing that that was not my natural inclination, but I needed it. And so how do you begin? How do you, how do you begin? I mean, you, I've written that, and you know one of the things that happens? For some of you, like I said, it's so easy for you. You just desire and you do it. For me, it helped me to begin to understand that God commands me to be generous. You know, some of us, we like things in black and white. We like to know, do this, and we do, you know. And so for me, it was very helpful to understand that God actually expects me. In fact, the Bible says, command those who are rich, that God is a negotiator. He actually expects me to be generous. That helped me. I know some of you, this is going to help you because you're like me. You know those people who you have to tell them loudly? Do you have people like that in your, in your life? You have to actually tell them and spell it out and they're like, oh, that's what you were saying. You know, some of us, we don't take hints. Uh, you're wondering, why are you hurting my feet? I don't even know what you're thinking. You have to tell me directly. Do you have friends like that? They think, some people think you should be able to read their minds. There are some of us, we can't read minds. You actually have to, when you spell it out loudly and you're like, oh, that's what you meant. So for me, when God spells it out loudly in his word, I was like, that's what it means. You see, I began to understand that in the, in the Bible, the tithe was a command. It was actually a command. In fact, when people came to give their tithe, they, they, the Bible doesn't talk about giving tithe. It talks about paying their tithe. It, you know, the interesting thing is sometimes we confuse the tithe with a passage that says God loves a cheerful giver. But you know something? There's no place in the Bible that says God loves a cheerful tither. This is how I've come to reconcile it. You know, when, you, when you're paying your taxes to KRA, I don't know if you know this, but that guy at the top, he feels nothing about how you feel when you pay your taxes. Let me break it down for you, by the way. I hope this doesn't break your heart. But that guy does not even worry whether you came crying, whether you were fighting. All he cares about is that you paid your taxes. That's all he wants. And this is what I came to understand. That when I pay my, when I pay my tithe, or when I, pay my, when I pay my tithe, what I'm doing is I'm declaring that my dependence is on God and not on myself. It's not an option for me as a human being. Because when I don't do that, then I'm saying, God, I've got this. I can manage my life. And that's a lie. And so I began to realize the first thing for me is I pay my tithe. And by the way, when it became clear, I was like, done. God, I've got this. 
But you know, as I began to tithe, and I began to do it because it was a command, not because I wanted to do it, but because it was a command, I began to understand that there are serious benefits that come when I give. There are serious benefits that come when I give. First benefit for me is that giving frees me from the power of money. Giving just frees me from the power of money. You know, I, I learned through it to trust the provider and not the provision. This is what giving did for me. You know, through giving, <laughs> Carol and I, we began to give, when we began to tithe when we were young. And I mean, just, I remember it was when I was in college that I began to understand this truth. When we met, we were very young and we got together and we were in our 20s, early 20s. And we got, I mean, we were kids when we got married, basically. I mean, we were very young. And we already were tithing, but when we came together, we said, we're going to continue this habit of tithing. But we were so broke, and we had to get married. We were planning to get married. And we had no money. I mean, for real, no money. I'd <laughs> Let me tell you how bad it was. I'd finished my, my university, and then I did a year of internship uh, at, at, at Nairobi Chapel. They didn't pay us to be interns. So I was basically a volunteer for a year. And that's the year when I <laughs> proposed. <laughs> to my girlfriend. If I, one of the things I told God is, God, if her, if her father doesn't blow up and ask me how I'm going to pay for his daughter to look after her, then I'll know it's you. And the father didn't blow up. He said, wow, what a great, nice young man. And I said, okay, this must be Jesus. Because I had nothing. I was still staying in my father's house. That's how bad things were. I hadn't even moved out. We moved out together, our first house. So anyway, we said, God, we have no money. We need you to provide for us. And we, we decided we we're going to have this wedding, and we just decided to trust God. And let me tell you what happened. God was so gracious to us. He, was, he went beyond every prayer. You know, have, has God ever answered your prayers disgustingly? I mean, like, he just completely answered our prayers. It was so incredible. People just gave us gifts. We had such a, I mean, I remember going to Nairobi school. Uh, that's my old school. And I remember going to the headmaster and saying, we want a place, a nice venue to get married. They had never had a wedding in Nairobi school. And the guy remembered me from when I was in school. And he said, my goodness, I'm so honored that you would want to have a marriage here. We've never had a wedding here. We'll give you the chapel for free. And he gave us the chapel for free. In fact, he said, even the grounds, you can have whatever you need here. We're not going to charge you a cent. In fact, he said, even the kitchen will be open and our chefs are there. And they'll cook for you. All you need to do is just bring your food and they'll cook for you. Now, the rest of you, the reason you didn't find those privileges is because I had them first. I was the first one there. And we had the first wedding that was in a school chapel uh, like that, that I knew. And then after that, we had the reception on the grounds. Uh, I remember going to a friend of mine. He worked in KPLC. Nobody used to do tents uh, for, wed for weddings those days. Now that tells you how old I am also, by the way. I, we got married a long time ago. And there were no tents out there. And so I remember going to my friend. He worked for KPLC and saying, we need tents. And he said, oh, we have tents that we use for all our gigs, all our promotions. They're lying there. Nobody's using them. You can have them for free. We'll even deliver them and pick them up afterwards and set them up for you. And so that's what happened. I mean, we had, it was incredible. One lady just decided, I love to bake, and I think you guys are such, a, such nice people. I want to make a special cake for you. Made a beautiful cake. One of our, one of our friends was a, professional, was a great photographer, incredible photographer. He said, I'll do the pictures for free. Are you understanding how disgusting this was? One of our other friends gave us five nights in a five-star hotel in Mombasa. Another one came and added another four nights in another hotel. So we went both south coast and north coast. And then after that... We had, a first, we had a ticket to fly. Somebody gave us a ticket. So after our wedding, we were just kind of sauntered. We entered a plane, flew to Mombasa, and another one gave us a first-class ticket on the train to come back. Are you understanding? Tell your neighbor, what money can't buy? God will supply. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened to us after that. We were so struck by this 
that we said, God, by the way, we're such young guys then, we said, God, we are so grateful that for every year of our married life, we will increase our 10% tithe by 1% because of thankfulness for the life you've given us for another year. We've been married now 19 years, and we give 29% of our income, almost 30%. Every month, we give it out. I'm not telling you this so that you can appreciate me, by the way. What I'm just trying to say is this. We have never lacked. We have never been hungry. We started in our 20s. God has never let us down. What money can't buy? God will supply. That was the first thing we realized, the benefit. That, you know, it frees you from fearing money. We don't fear money. Because God showed us he's a supplier. It's not our salary. I've never feared my salary being cut. Because I know it's God who supplied for me. It's God who called me. It's God who will make me move out of here. And it's God who supplies for me. The second thing we began to understand is that we need to live for things bigger than ourselves. This is what giving does. It helps you live for bigger things than yourself. One of the reasons I love giving to Mavuno Church is because it's not an institution I give to. I give to a vision. I want to tell you this. In this church... My family, by the way, in almost entirety has been transformed. My relatives have come to Christ. Many of them are serving in ministry, in different ministries in the church. I mean, I've seen the next generation of children, uh, uh, not my, my children and my nieces and nephews, coming to Christ and walking with God because of what's happening in this church. It's personal for me. I've seen alcoholics walk into this church and be cured, and now they're helping other people come out of alcoholism. I've seen couples come into this church with a horrible marriage. Terrible. And they've come out of this place, not only transformed, but now they're counselors for other people, helping other people have good marriages. And I say, praise God for what he's doing. I've seen prisoners who have no hope come to find freedom behind bars, and now they're walking in victory. I've seen so many different things happen in this church. And when I give to Mavuno Church, I don't give to an institution. I give to a vision. You know, somebody could say you give because you're the pastor. That's not why I give. I give because I believe in the vision, the great vision that God has called this church to. But the other thing is, I've also come to understand that God has given the African church everything it needs to fulfill the purpose he's called it to. That we don't need donors to come and to help us as the African church. That all, we have the resources. And you know, I've come to understand that God has such huge plans for this continent of Africa, and he's just waiting for a few generous Africans to step up. I think this is what he's waiting for. I mean, I look back in the West and I see the people, I see those, those generous people out there, the Cadburys and, and the Va Vanderbilts and, 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 and the Rockefellers. And to, until today, they're still giving and they're still blessing long after the first people died. And I say, my goodness, no wonder those countries are great because there were great people who stepped up and said, God, use me to bless others. I'm saying, why can't I be one of the ones who endows a university? Why can't the next Harvard of Africa be because of a man called Moravi and his family? Oh, somebody needs to be claiming this and saying, praise God, that's me. I want to be one of those. Yes, your family can be it. Why can't you be the one who looks after all the widows in Nairobi City and creates hope for them? Why can't all the young pregnant girls who are seeking abortions because they have no options find counseling and find halfway houses and find adoption for their babies if they need it because of you and because of your family? Why can't all those children who don't have school be, find education because of your family? I've come to understand that when you live for something bigger than yourself, life changes. You stop being worried about little things. You begin to understand it is God who supplies your need. You know, one of our ambitions as a family is that God will allow Caro and I to support, apart from our children, to support 1,000 other children through high school. This is our vision as a family. And I tell you, it is so exciting when you live for something like that. We already began to do it. Here's one of the things I believe, that everybody we support in that way prays for my family. 
because they know that's where their school fees comes from, isn't it? Even if your school fees was coming from somewhere, you'd be praying for that somewhere, isn't it? And one of the things I believe is my children will never lack school fees because of the prayers of those children that we are supporting. This is something that every one of us can access because God wants us to be like that, to live for things that are bigger than ourselves. The third benefit that I began to understand when we gave is that giving taught us to be content. Giving is so powerful in teaching you to be content. You see, in the early days when Carol and I got married, I told you this today, I'm going to be sharing a lot of stories. When Carol and I got married, we, <laughs> we were really down in the dumps. I mean, we were broke. Some of you don't understand what I mean when I tell you we were broke. We were seriously broke. I remember our first house that we lived in was in Dagoretti Corner, and it was behind a butchery. Uh, you know Plot 10? You know what Plot 10 is? It's a, at least we were privileged we had two rooms. Some of them had one room, but ours had two rooms. So one, the, the first room was a kit, uh, sort of like kitchen, sitting room, dining room, all those things in one. And the other one was our bedroom with all the, 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 the wardrobes you buy and then you put up. So, I mean, it was very nice. And, I mean, we, well, it wasn't very nice. But anyway, we had the two rooms. And then all the bathrooms and the toilets are in the corner, you know, and you share them with all your friends. And when you hang your clothes, you kind of stay there like this because you keep checking out of the window because you, you don't want guys to take off with your nice stuff. I mean, this is where we stayed. It was so horrible because... Because I had picked up this girlfriend of mine when I, when I married her and she was my fiance. I picked her up from her father's house in Karen, uh, where her bedroom was self contained. She had a, a pink bedroom, all, everything matching, self contained. Her bedroom was bigger than the house I took her to. Her mom was so horrified when she came to visit us. Her mom owns a security company. Uh, and her mom was so horrified. For the first few days, she said, please allow me to do this. And so she sent a watchman to sit outside our plot tent. <laughs> so you walk into this place behind the, you, you, behind the butchery, and you find these little rows of houses, and outside one, there's a watchman sitting there. What is he doing here? Eventually, we convinced her mom, it's okay, just take the watchman away. We are fine. But you know, it was interesting, when God gave us an upgrade and we moved to Kibera, we were so happy. I mean, for us, it was like, wow! I mean, it was an upgrade for us, an incredible upgrade. A couple of years after that, the Lord allowed us to go to the U.S. to study, and we got scholarships to go. I mean, God supplied that. It definitely wasn't us or our families. And when we got there, uh, people glamorized. By the way, people glamorize your relatives when they send you pictures of life in the U.S. Never buy the lie. You know, it's not like that. I mean, one of the things that if for us, I mean, things were so thick, we used to, you've heard of welfare. Those lines where people get, up, get in there to, to line up for food. That's what determined our, our diet every month, what they were giving in the welfare line. So we'd go there with our two bags, with everybody there, guys with bags. You, you find guys pushing trolleys and people smelling, and we're there, just the two of us, the, the Africans, and we go, and we get our food. And I tell you, if it was rice and beans that month, for us, we called it R&B month. R&B stands for rice and beans. You don't understand how many things you can cook with rice and beans. So let me break it down for you. <laughs> rice stew, rice pudding, rice and milk, bean salad, bean casserole, rice and beans. That was us. I mean, we used to eat rice until it's pouring out of our ears. <laughs> and you're praying, I hope next month is not rice because things are thick. But you know, the amazing thing is, even in the difficult times, we still maintained our privilege and our joy of giving increasing our giving every year. We still trusted God. And you know what? God supplied all our needs. Never supplied for our greed, but he always supplied for our needs. 
There are times we'd pass other houses and we see them frying pork and frying nice things and people living in nice mansions and say, God, why can't they invite us Africans? You know, it's like these poor two people. We won't even take space in their house. Just say, look at those poor Africans. Let me just invite them into my house, uh, put them up in one of the beds and feed them in my full fri- with my full fridge. God never ever allowed those people to supply our needs. He said, I have more than enough to supply your needs. Let me tell you what, rice and beans, we enjoyed it so much Now, when we came back home and we both got jobs for the first time in a while, we had jobs now in Kenya and we could supply, our lifestyle was so simple. We were so content with simplicity. We still eat meat, even till today. We still eat meat once a week as a family. By the way, and that's like a capitulation because I can't even stand too much meat. Uh, I got weaned out of meat by eating R&B. I mean, it's like I just... (laughs) And you know what that has meant? It's meant that we typically, right now, we live on 40% or less of our salary every month. We've always lived on one salary, by the way, even when we were young, because we learned to live simple. And that has allowed us to be able to give generously. It's also allowed us to be able to invest generously. So this is the thing, that your giving teaches you to be content. For some of us, it's very hard to be content, because every time we have an increase of income, we increase our lifestyle. But when you give, you're freeing the power of money over you, and you're teaching yourself to be content. The last privilege we learned, the last thing that our giving does, is that giving helps you tap into God's provision. In fact, here's how I put it. God's acceleration and protection. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, that's what it says. It says, test me in this. This is what I learned that God's word says. It says, test me in this. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. What that means is God says, I will accelerate your investments. Because you can plant and there's no rain. And God is saying, what you plant, I will pour rain on. When I tithe, I know that God accelerates my investments. But not only that, he says, I will protect you from the devourer. I'll keep the devourer away from you. I won't go into too much detail of this. You can learn about that in in Financial Foundations, a little book that you can get at our bookstore. But I just want to say that I I began to give because I had to. But then I began to realize, oh my goodness, there are benefits to giving. So number one, desire to be generous. Desire to be generous. Desire to be, just say, God, teach me. Show me how. Show me how to be generous, much more generous than I think I can be. Number two, step number two is this. Start where you are. Start where you are. Don't wait till you're making huge amounts of money to learn to be generous. Start with a little that you have in your hands. You see, giving redirects your heart. And when your heart is right, everything else financially falls into place. This is what I've come to understand. When I give first then God begins to teach me. God began to teach me how to save. God began to teach me how to, 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 to invest. God began to teach me other things. But it was only after I unlocked the power of giving because God began to realize I'm a faithful person with what he has given me. You can make that radical decision. You know, it's, it's very interesting. For some of us, to be able to do this, to start with what we have, you might have to downgrade your lifestyle to be a giver. <laughs> We moved from our house. We used to live in, uh, in Sunview Estate, a very nice uh, estate near in Gumo. And I mean, you know, in, in, in our thinking at that time, uh, this was, you know, you move on up, isn't it? Moving on up. It's like, you're, from, where do you move from Sunview? What's the next place? Kilimani, isn't it? And it's all headed towards? Uh, yeah, exactly, that place. <laughs> it's like we all, all roads head that way. But you know, one day we woke up and we realized we're using so much of our income to pay this rent. We looked around us and we realized that people who lived around us were mostly wealthy people. Uh, people who are doctors and people who are earning much more. Than- and we 
said, oh my goodness, we're spending a lot of our income living in a place we can't afford. And so we made a decision to move to Mbakasi. It was very interesting because we were moving on down as everyone else was moving on up. And I mean, you're waving at guys as they're moving on up and they're wondering, what happened to you? Do you know that we, we, we got looks of pity that whole year. It's like guys are like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, why are you sorry? <laughs> we still have a house. But it's like, how did you move? What happened? And we're like, no, no, we made a decision that we would downgrade our lifestyle so we could live a life that we can afford. And you know what happened is God allowed us in that place to find such joy and happiness as we downgraded. We began to realize it's not even where you live, it's who you live with and the joy that you have in that home. You could live in Runda and have a miserable home. And this is what we began to realize, that it's about our family and the state and the nature of our family as we downgraded. But it also taught our children that we're not entitled, that we don't just live where we want to live, that we can trust God and release resources to be a blessing to others. So this is the second step. Start where you are. And for some of you, you need to downgrade. I need to tell you, there are other places to shop. Yeah, it's true. Some of you need to discover the wonders of Toy Emporium. You do. You do. Let me tell you. It's, I'm serious. I'm serious. Don't, don't, get, don't buy the lie. You don't have to shop where everybody else is shopping. Think through it. You don't have to eat lunch where everybody else is eating lunch. Some of us, by the way, how, the, the amount we spend on lunch every month, let me not even go into that, fill in the blanks, desire, start with what you have. Step number three, grow from there. And I think this for me would be the, 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 the next step. I mean, you can't grow before you start. You can't start before you desire. So desire, start, and then grow from there. You know, it was interesting when Kara and I uh, were at Mavuno at the beginning and we had to move here to Bellevue, 30 million shillings needed, 400 people only, mostly young, first jobs. And I remember coming up with this figure because we knew we needed a lot of money to move here. It was 30 million. It was completely intimidating. And so Kara and I decided we're going to give, first time we'd ever done this, we decided we're going to give two months' salary and trust God. We've been tithing. God has been gracious. Surely we can trust him to take us to the next step. And so we decided to give that two-month salary. God provided that that year. We lived on 10 salaries, and we were still blessed. And so we decided, you know what we're going to do this year? We're actually going to, because we had we had only gone into about 11 million the first year. We had 30 million to go. We said to Mavuno, guys, we're hardly there. We need to up our giving. And we made a commitment that we would give a million shillings. Quite, quite a few of our people in the church, very young people decided by faith, we'll give a million shillings, half a million shillings, or people who made all kinds of figures. And so we decided we'll be among those who give a million. You know, it was so amazing that God supplied our needs, and he gave us that million shillings. And I still remember the day when I put the check into the offering basket. I mean, my hand was trembling. I was like, by the way, have you ever put a million shillings given it away? You, but I, it was involuntary. I couldn't even start. It was like, it, it's like, and, but the, the amazing thing is, as soon as that money dropped into the offering basket, I just felt a sense of peace, freedom, joy, and awe. I said, my goodness, I at my young age, can give a million shillings to something bigger than myself. Wow! So you know what happened at the beginning of this year? By the way, it's never easy. Beginning of this uh, last year, uh, count me in, uh, Mavuno Church, trying to raise 350 million so we can move to Hill City. And I remember telling my wife, let's give, uh, um, let's give a million shillings. <laughs> so I told you my wife is generous. She kind of laughed at me and said, that was four years ago, guy. Grow up. And I mean, I, I mean, she says things a little bluntly sometimes, and I was like, okay. So I told her, okay, you, so she said, give me a better figure. So I mean, I told her, okay, sweetie, you give me the figure, because you obviously have a figure. And I mean, I wasn't saying that very kindly, but she was like, okay, I'll pray about it, and I'll tell you what we'll give. And so she went to pray, and I was praying against her prayer. 
was like, Lord, I bind whatever prayer she's praying right now. <laughs> I'm telling you, this thing is never easy. It's like you always have to continuously die to yourself to be generous. And she came back to me and she said, it has to be 5 million shillings. And I told her the thing that I feared the most, because that was a number that I was dreading. I was like, Lord, I bind 5 million shillings. She came and told me 5. So I said, fine, let's do it. And we started with what we had, because you always start with what you have. You don't start with what you don't have. And so we moved from what we had. And we decided we gave two months last year, at the, the last time, and God supplied our needs. We're going to give three months this time. And we're going to trust God to allow us to live a year with nine salaries only. And we would still tithe, by the way, in the process. So we gave the, the three salaries. It wasn't immediately. It was like one and then the other and then the other. You know what happened? Last year was the year of the most incredible provision I've ever had in my whole life. It beat, I mean, it makes my wedding look like a joke. Uh, God supplied beyond anything we've ever experienced. Uh, I remember this last, the, the second check that we gave, the second time we gave out, because it was combined salaries. I mean, what we've given, um, we don't have money for groceries this month. And I remember we gave the money and we said, God, let's see. I mean, this is an adventure now. Let's, let's see how you're going to supply for us. And you know, that's a month when one, one of you, I don't even know who it was. They've never told us who they were. But they came and filled our car with groceries. It was three months worth of shopping. I mean, I'm telling you, and it was better brands than we've ever eaten. I mean, even now, I mean, it spoiled us. Because you're like, how do we go back to eating what we used to eat, man? I mean, this, this, this really spoiled us. It was amazing. It was incredible. I sometimes think it was an angel who just came and pretended to be a Mavunite. But I really do believe it was one of you that blessed us. And whoever you are, thank you. You really were a blessing to us. You really were a blessing to my family. And you stretched our faith. You helped us grow in our faith as well. We got to the end of the... I mean, by the way, last year was a year I took my family to the States for six weeks, fully paid, went to Disneyland, to Florida, to, to Las Vegas, fully paid. Then after that, we came back and I took my wife to New Zealand for 10 days and then to Australia for 10 days, fully paid for. By the way, it's much more fun when somebody else pays for it. <laughs> Let me tell you, what money can't buy? And it's so much more fun when God supplies it. It's not even your own money that paid for it. I couldn't believe it. Things that I've, I, I put them on my bucket list for one day when we are old. And they just happened like that. The year when we lived on nine months, God supplied. So at the end of, this, of last year, we came to the place where we realized our three-month salary was nothing compared to the amount we wanted to give. And we said, God, we haven't gotten there. What do we do? And we had this piece of land, and we said, you know what? This piece of land is what we're going to give. It's a piece of land we bought. Uh, we, we've always treasured it and thought this would have something to do with our retirement. Very beautiful piece of land. And we said, this is the only thing we can give that will sell and give us the kind of money we need. And so we decided to put it on the market. We talked to a friend of ours who comes to this church, and we agreed that we would sell it. And we were done until one, one and I think I might have told this story before, one member of this church wrote us something on, in, on, on, on Facebook, an inbox, and said, you know what, Pastor M? <laughs> uh, God is saying, don't sell the land. She had never heard this story. She was just praying for us, and God spoke to her directly, said, tell Pastor M not to sell the land. I will provide and I remember reading it. It's like, have you ever had, had, has God ever sent you an inbox? It really felt like God was speaking to me through that inbox. I was like, God knows how to use Facebook. It was amazing. And I remember showing it to my wife. She was spooked out. And we decided, okay, we're going to take this as the word of the Lord. We're going to trust him. You know what happened? This was in November last year. Uh, around March this year, um, we, <laughs> just going through my old records, I realized there's a friend of mine who had bought some shares uh, for us on our behalf. Several years ago, they were worth a couple of hundred thousand shillings. And I, was, I remembered and I thought, let me see how much the shares cost. Went to the newspaper, I realized they cost 1.3 million shillings. And I remember calling my friend and saying, oh my goodness, uh, it's time. I need my money. Can you sell those shares? 
And this friend told me, uh, this is not an, a convenient time for me because of my place in my, in my employment right now. I can't liquidate shares right now. So the only way you can get these shares is if somebody else bought them from you. And because of the difficulty of the share, of the sell, you're probably going to lose most of the value because somebody will be taking a risk to do that. And I remember just going to pray. And I, he told me, it's not good. It's not convenient for me to sell them right now, basically. I remember going on a retreat for a week to pray. I was doing, praying about other things, but I prayed about it specifically. My wife, unknown to me, gets a, call, a thought in the morning to call that same friend because he works in a bank and to say, we're praying about Mavuno moving. I need some divine ideas from you to help Mavuno to move. Tell me what you can do in your position to help us understand how to even structure some of our financing. The guy talked to my wife, and then he called me and said, why are you asking your wife to call me? Are you putting pressure on me? I told him, I did not call her. I promise you. She, in fact, I'm shocked that she called you. The guy was so spooked, he said, that must have been God telling me. And he said, I'm immediately, in fact, he said, I don't care what happens to me. I'm selling those shares for you right now. I'm giving you the money, my own money. 1.3 million shillings, where do I wire it? The next Sunday, we had money to give into that. <laughs> Let me tell you, God is so amazing. It wasn't over yet. We still had about a million left to go. I mean, it was actually even more than that. And that's when we found a piece of land. This one, I think some of you might have heard this story. A piece of land we found. We'd been eyeing it for years. We'd always wondered who owned it. My dad found the owner. They ended up hitting off and becoming such good friends that the guy told him, when my dad mentioned my, your son, my son wants to buy some of your land, he said, let me meet your son. So my dad and I go to meet him. And he says, I hear you want my land. And I said, yes. He says, how much do you want to pay for it? And I looked at him like, nobody ever asks you that, isn't it? But I, I you know, you, you don't know what to say, but I picked a figure that was about half of what I knew the land was worth, and I gave the figure. He said, um, how many acres do you want? And my wife nudged me and said, ask for 10. <laughs> She's a woman of faith, because remember, there's nothing left in our account. We've given it all. And I said, um, six. <laughs> That's about how much my faith could rise up to meet hers. And, and the guy said, done. How, how do you want to pay for it? And he's asking me to structure the deal. So I gave him like a six-month payment, and I gave him like the, the most favorable terms towards me, like pay this much at the beginning and pay it all at the end. And the guy was like, okay, send your lawyer, ask your lawyer to send me a sale agreement. I'll sign it tomorrow. And that's how we got into this thing. I walked out of there and asked my wife, what have we done? And she said, God will, pro God will provide, God will supply. You know what happened? A couple of friends of ours came. They gave us the money because they wanted a piece of that land. And they, secured, they, they, they gave us the money at the value of the land that allowed us not only to still own a, a, a good, pretty good piece of, of land right now that we own that we didn't have, but we got the money, the balance that we needed for Count Me In, and we brought it to church, and we were finished with our pledge. Not only did we pay our pledge of five million in the time we did not have it, but now I have land I didn't have. What? Tell your neighbor what money can't buy. God will supply. Okay, you need to say it like a preacher. Just put emphasis on that God part. All right. What money can't buy? God will supply. <laughs> this is what I've come to understand. He's an amazing God. He's so much more than able. You know, I want to conclude this message. I want to conclude this message. I've told you a lot of stories today. I've also given you my personal testimony. I don't give it in any way to glorify myself. I'm growing in this journey. I know many of you are growing as well. But I want to pray for us as we come to our conclusion of this message. I believe that God is raising up a, a generous generation. That God is looking for people who are channels, kingdom channels for his blessing. As I conclude this message, I want to pray for some of you. 
Some of you are in such difficult financial positions right now. That difficulty is because you may have put yourself there in your foolishness. Or maybe it's just a season you're going through for a reason. And God has lessons for you to learn in that space. But today I want you to commit yourself. That Lord, even in my most difficult times, I will learn to be a giver. And I will ask you for contentment to help me learn to enjoy life even here. Not waiting for the day you deliver me from here. So that even on the day you deliver me, it's not the money that will have supplied. I will be able to testify God has supplied. There's another group of people I want to pray for. There are some of you who are just beginning in your careers. You're just starting out. And you're saying, thank God I learned this so young and so early. I can start right. I thank God for you. And if you're here, what I want to challenge you is to do this. That you will tell God, Lord, I will not increase my lifestyle every time I get an increment because you will bless me. But Lord, I want to see how you can use me over the course of my life to be a kingdom financier, a faithful steward of the resources you will give me, a blessing to the people of this great continent. And then lastly, there's a group of you who God has already blessed greatly. God has already given you resources. Wow. Here's my prayer for you. That many of you are beginning to ask God right now and saying, God, what can I live for that is bigger than myself? What can my family and I live for that will live a legacy on this continent? Who can we bless? And right now that I'm ch my challenge to you is that you would do this. That you would ask God, say, say to God, God, show me the need that you created me to supply, to be a blessing for. To trust you that with the resources you give, I will be a blessing to my generation. If you're in any one of those categories, please stand up to your feet. I want to pray for you. Anybody who fits there, just stand to your feet right now. Let's appreciate them as they stand to their feet. We bless you, Lord, for everyone that is standing up all across this room. Bless the Lord for everyone. Wow. To God be the glory. Put out your hands in front of yourself and surrender right now. And say, God, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. Put yourself, put that situation in your hand, in God's hands. Say, God, I trust you. You're the one who supplies my need. It's not money that supplies it. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be a steward. Help me to be a kingdom financier. May your kingdom advance because of me and my family. May your work be done. May the poor rejoice because of me and my family. May I leave a legacy on this continent that will be a blessing to others. I bless you, Lord. Thank you for every prayer that is going up to you right now. We honor you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you because this week we have witnessed a generosity in this nation that we did not know existed in response to the calamity at Westgate. But I thank you that, Lord, the word you're giving to your people in this place today is that this kind of generosity is what you expect of us every day. These are the kind of people you want us to be all the time, not just when calamity comes. And I thank you, Lord, that in this place, you are raising up a righteous generation. Father God, right now, as these prayers have come to you, I want to release every blessing upon your people. I want to bless them right now with health, with peace, with joy, with goodness, with good relationships. I speak over them shalom, the things that money can't buy. But Lord, I also pray that you give them money as well. <laughs> give them money that they can be good stewards of it to be a blessing to this continent. I pray that Lord, they would stand out in their generation, that people would marvel at their companies, at their careers. People will marvel at the way they have such courage and confidence as they walk out in this city. Not driven by fear. Trusting the God whose life, who their life is in his hands. And so I speak a blessing over your children right now. Release us with your blessing, Lord. 
I glorify you and I honor you. For this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people say, come on, let's appreciate the Lord right now. We bless you, Lord. Let's all stand to our feet. I want to bless you as you go out into the week. Remember to leave clothes or to look for clothes if you need them. They're free of charge. No one's going to charge you for them. Take as many as you need. The other thing I'm going to say is next week, one of our pastors has been away. You know in Kenya when you say away, you don't mean in Kangare or next door. Uh, she's been out of the country. Uh, Pastor Linda has been doing her PhD studies in the US. Uh, but is back with us. And she's going to be bringing God's word to us starting next week. So please come and let's hear what she, the, this great woman of God has to say. I'm really looking forward to it, Pastor Linda. We're really thanking God for the word you're going to give to us next week. Let me bless you, God's people, as you go out of the week. Father God, generosity now. Generosity among your people. Bless them. May their children learn generosity because of them. I bless them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's people say it. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell them, stay rich. <laughs>